Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Lighthouse and Bluffton. Uh, My name is Dave. I am one of the pastors of our sister church in Heatherwood, and I'm the community outreach pastor, so I'm out in the neighborhood doing stuff. It's such a privilege to be able to teach uh, God's Word with you this morning, and I'm going to start off with a question. Here's the question. Have you ever been interrogated? Have you ever been interrogated? by police officer or government official, please don't, don't raise your hands, okay? Uh, I'm just curious. Let me ask it this way. Have you ever been interrogated by a parent? Uh, my dad was this master interrogated, uh, interrogator. If I or my brother ever did anything um, bad um, and my mom found out and she didn't know who it was, she'd just have to say, when dad comes home, he's gonna get to the bottom of this. And he would. He would get me from denying that I know anything about what's going on to admitting that I did it, to accepting responsibility, uh, and also to uh, accepting judgment. And then he would negotiate with me on what my punishment would be. And it was the worst. Because like a negotiator, he would ask me to come up with the first number. He's like, how many weeks of restriction from video games do you think is deserving for what you've done? (laughs) I'm like, zero? Because this is enough torture uh, that I need. I mean, I think this is enough punishment just being asked this question. And he would negotiate with me the terms of, uh, of, my, of my punishment. Oh, man, it was the worst. Do you, do you interrogate your kids? My wife and I, we do. See, because in our household, we have a policy. It goes like this. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't. So when our kids are terrorizing the home, We do not negotiate with them. We interrogate them. (laughs) And just the other day, I was cleaning under the couch, and there was a pile of Easter candy wrappers squirreled away under the couch. Called my eldest son to the carpet, Ezra. He's seven years old. Interrogated him. Cross-examined his brother. Figured it out. Gave him punishment. Who do you think's in control in that situation? When people are asking rapid-fire questions, trying to draw out information or get an admission of guilt, who do you think's in control? There are countries that are closed countries, and I lived in one of those closed countries for a number of years. And what a closed country is, or what that means, is that these countries have laws against sharing the gospel, against missionary activity, against inviting people to convert from one religion to Christianity. And I've been living in this country as a missionary, essentially breaking the laws of this country in serving Jesus. And I've been doing this for years. And I remember one day I was just in the marketplace trying to buy some corn and a government official found me, cornered me in the marketplace and he said this. He said, uh, we have been keeping track of where you're going, who you are talking to. We know uh, what you're dealing with and what you're saying. And you need to tell us the truth. Are you a missionary? Are you trying to convert people from 
other religions to Christianity. Tell me now, don't lie. What would you say in that situation? What would you say? I was going to I was not ready to be asked that question. I was I was trying to buy corn. And all of a sudden, I was thinking to myself, well, I'm not going to lie. But if I tell the truth, I could be thrown in jail. I can be uh, kicked out of the country. Um, any number of things could happen. What would you do? Who's in control of that situation? I want you to be thinking about that as we get to uh, Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at this awesome passage. This is an awesome passage of scripture because this is the longest prayer recorded in Acts. And it's all about uh, Peter and John, these two fishermen, followers of Jesus, who get interrogated by the chief priests, the very people who murdered Jesus, and they get threatened not to speak in Jesus' name, and then they go, and they meet with their friends, and they pray. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's so, because what you get to see in this passage is friends who truly know God and who truly are walking in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this should be a great encouragement for us. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Go ahead and pull that out in your Bible. Fire up your app. Uh, Google the address if you need to and meet me there. We're going to look at verse uh, 23 uh, to 31. And I'll just go ahead and read that passage and then we'll go through it uh, section by section. So Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and, and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you... Stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. All right, we're going to go through this part by part, and uh, I'm going to help explain and interpret some of this for you. So go back to verse 23. So when they, so they is talking about Peter and John. So some of the backstory was they were going just to the temple to pray. There was a crippled beggar. Peter's like, I don't have any gold to give, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. And he picked him up and this lame, crippled beggar uh, was healed. And he's jumping around, leaping around, and everyone in the temple are just amazed, and they kind of rush around Peter, and Peter's like, why are you looking at me? There's nothing special about me. It was in faith in the name of Jesus that this man's healed. And then Peter proclaims Jesus. He shares the gospel. 
Now the guards in the temple don't like that one bit and the chief priests and the leaders uh, don't like that either. So they arrest Peter and John. They put him in prison overnight and in the morning they pull him out and interrogate them and basically have a trial. The elders uh, of Israel are present and the uh, high priestly family, including you know Caiaphas and Annas and the very people who murdered Jesus are interrogating Peter and John. That's what happened. And if you had to pick someone to be interrogated, one of Jesus' followers, the last person you should pick is Peter. If you know anything about Peter, do you remember Peter following Jesus? Jesus is like, you're all gonna desert me. And Peter's like, I'm never gonna desert you. You're gonna betray me. Not me. You're gonna deny me. I'm not gonna deny you. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Remember that? And, and when Jesus is on trial, people interrogate Peter, and he denies Jesus three times. But it wasn't like high, powerful people interrogating them. Like one of the people interrogating Peter was a servant girl standing by the door. This is a girl, you know, just hanging out, just watching the door. Hey, you're not from around here, are you, Simon. Are you one of them Galileans? Are you a follower of Jesus? Right? And Peter's like, oh, I, I deny, I deny, cried. I, I don't know Christ. I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. It's like, come on, dude. Peter, you're the rock, man. He's got like the robustness of a marshmallow. Do you want that guy to be interrogated by the very people who killed Jesus? I wouldn't pick him. But what happens? They interrogate the chief priests. Interrogate uh, Peter and John, and they say, "By what name or what power are you doing these things?" And at that moment, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives Peter boldness, and he starts sharing the gospel. It's in the name of Jesus, the person who you killed and God raised. And there's no un- and there's no other name under heaven given. For salvation, he's the only name that saves. He's calling the people who killed Jesus, saying that you killed him, but God raised him. You need to repent and believe because this is the, the name that you're saying that we shouldn't speak in is the only name that can save people. Wow, isn't that amazing? That's Peter. No, that's not Peter. That's the Holy Spirit giving Peter boldness when he needs boldness to bring the gospel to the very people who conspired against and murdered Jesus. And they don't, I mean, these, these leaders, they don't come to Christ. They don't turn. Uh, what they end up doing is they can't punish Peter and John because, first of all, because of the miracle, that crippled guy is standing right there. Everyone saw it. Uh, a lot of people are beginning to follow Jesus now, and they're afraid of the crowds. So really, who's in charge? So the religious leaders, the crowds, so they get released from custody, and that's the passage that we're looking at. So when they, still at verse 23, when they were released from custody, right, they went to their friends. So notice where they go. Notice where they don't go. It doesn't say they go to their church. It doesn't say they go to their leaders. It doesn't say they go to their Bible study. It doesn't say they go to their disciples. It says they go to Peter and John. They go to their friends. Their friends. You might remember last week, was it John 15? Jesus says, man, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Servants 
servants don't know their master's business, but you do. I'm telling you everything the Father tells me. You're my friends. If you obey my commands, you're my friends. And what does Peter and John do? They go to their friends. Do you have friends in Jesus? Do you have friends where if it wasn't for your relationship with Christ, that you probably would not get along with these people, but because of underneath it all, you both belong to Christ and you both love Jesus, that you have a deep and meaningful friendship. If your common denominator is Jesus, I don't care what kind of background you're from, you can have deep, significant friendship. And that's the kind of friendship that these people had. These were regular people. These were just friends. Peter and John, apostles and their friends. They go to their friends and they report everything, right, that, that, uh, that was said to them. In verse 24, so when they heard it, they lifted up their voice together to God and said, so they, all of them, all these friends are praying, sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Notice the first thing these friends say to God is sovereign Lord. In the Greek, that's actually one word, and the word is despota, despota. So that's where you get the word uh, despotism or a despotic ruler or a despot. Uh, it's not a good word in the English because it, it's used to describe a system of government or a, a, a leadership that is led by one guy. One person is in complete and utter control of everything. So one guy in charge of every single detail, that's despotism. And so what they're saying is they're calling God, when they say despotize, they're saying, God, you are the one who is really in charge of everything. You are the one who is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, including the very religious leaders who threatened us and murdered Jesus. God, you are sovereign and you are in control. So who is in control of the situation? Is it the religious leaders? Is it the people? Is it the disciples? What the disciples say is, no, it is you, God, who are in control of the situation. And look what they continue to say. Verse 25, who, they're talking about God, God, you, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And they go on to quote Psalm chapter 2. So they're recognizing that they're quoting scripture now while they're praying, and they're recognizing that this scripture is what you, God, said. Through the mouth of David, by your Holy Spirit, by God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit speaks Scripture, inspired Scripture. This is God's Word. And they start quoting Psalm chapter 2. And this is what it says. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So notice in here, uh, it's talking about uh, the Gentiles and the peoples, the kings and the rulers. They're all conspiring and they're all set up against and they're all raging against God, the Lord, and his anointed, anointed as Messiah, God and his Messiah. So all the, the peoples 
the peoples and the Gentiles, the kings and the rulers are against God and his uh, Messiah. And they stop quoting Psalm 2, and then they start applying Psalm 2. They start interpreting Psalm 2. You read this like, is this a prayer or is it a Bible study? It's both. Okay, they're devotionally processing God's word as they're praying. So they stop quoting scripture and they start understanding scripture. And this is what they say. Verse 27. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Remember, Lord and his anointed is Jesus. Gathered against him was who? Both Herod, the king, Pontius Pilate, the Gentile leader, representing the Gentiles, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So both the leaders of the Jews and the Gentiles and the peoples of the Jews and the Gentiles, they were all conspiring and they were all against you, God, and your holy servant, Jesus, the Messiah, the one you anointed. And their uh, conspiracy against Jesus accomplished what? Killed Jesus. They killed Jesus. But what do they say in their prayer? What resulted? Verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The greatest sin in the universe, right? Going against Jesus. Killing God's son. Killing the Messiah. Right? <laughs> Only accomplished what God the Father himself's plan was all along to give his son as a sacrifice for sin, to deal with the sin problem. And so you see that the greatest evil and the greatest wrong and the greatest conspiracy that could ever take place, which is the killing of Jesus, only accomplished accomplished the greatest plan and the greatest conspiracy and the greatest purpose that God has in all of history to save people from sin. And so they're reading this and they're applying it to themselves. Now let's take a break and let me just ask you a question. Are you reading the Bible the way these disciples, these friends are encountering the Bible? Do you enjoy spending time in Scripture the way these friends are enjoying time in Scripture. Some of you, some of you miss out on this because you might be approaching the Bible the wrong way. See, there's two wrong ways to approach kind of reading the Bible and not being able to process it devotionally or, or grow in a relationship with God as you read Scripture. One, one way to not do it right is to just look for yourself. You see the Bible as, this is giving me tips on how to live. It's going to, so where am I? Where am I? Oh, where am I? Mm, God, speak to me. What do you want to tell me? Speak to me, God. What, what kind of direction do you want from me? What do you want? That's not how you read the Bible. <laughs> That's not. <laughs> that actually, uh, God's message directly to you is very, very thin in the Bible. The other wrong way to try to read the Bible is thinking, well, the Bible is about God, so I can learn about God. I can learn about God. I can learn about history. I can learn about what he did in history. So I'm here learning about God, and I'm learning, 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 learning. I know many people, a number of people, who read through the Bible every single year, 
But I'm kind of scratching my head looking for where's the fruit? Where's the evidence that you're walking with Jesus through reading through the Bible? You got lots of Bible knowledge, but where's the, where's the obedience? Where's the walking with Jesus by faith? So it's not a book about God. It's not a book about you. The Bible is really, it's many stories, but it tells one story. It's many books, but it has one hero. It points to one person, and that is the Messiah, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So God's mission, whether you're in Genesis or in Revelation, God's mission points to the coming and the person, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God's mission flows out from Jesus and his followers. God's purpose for all of the world and purpose for history points to Jesus and goes from Jesus. God's plan for your life points to Jesus, that you need to be in Jesus, that you need to be a follower of Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, God's plan for your life flows out from Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. That's what this is saying. The Bible is all about Jesus. So when you read the Bible, think about how does this point to Jesus as hero? God is hero. And how does this lead me as I follow Jesus? So let's get back to where we were. I think I have one more verse to read. <laughs> um. All right. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. So they're moving from Scripture interpretation to application, right? And they're asking God, look upon their threats. And verse 29. And grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice that these friends understood their lane and they understood God's lane. They understood what God's called them to do and they understood what only God himself could do. What God has called them to do is to share the gospel, continue to proclaim God's word. And what they were asking God for help with was boldness to do that in the face of opposition. And they trusted God to do what only God can do. Is God, stretch out your hand in healing, in signs, and wonders. That is something that only God can do. And sometimes, one of the biggest challenges is we don't ask for boldness because we're dipping our toe into the wrong lane. God is the only one who can, let, let me just ask you, who is it that can prepare a heart? Who can soften a heart? Who can draw someone to be interested in God and interested in Jesus? Who can convict someone of sin and their need for a savior? Who can work unseen, preparing people to hear the gospel? Who can open eyes to the truth of the gospel? Who 
can convict and draw people to turn and believe in Jesus. Only God, the Holy Spirit, only God can do those things. And God does. As we share the word, God confirms his word. As we proclaim Jesus, God confirms and verifies the truthfulness of that message supernaturally. And we can ask God to do it. And we can ask God to confirm it because we can't change anybody's hearts and we can't change anybody's lives, but we can open our mouths boldly with the help of the Holy Spirit and share the good news, the love and forgiveness of God found in Jesus. Some of you, instead of praying for boldness like these disciples did, you're praying for opportunities. And I would encourage you to not pray for opportunities. That makes sense? Praying. We always, we, so many of us do this, right? God, I just pray you give me an opportunity to share the gospel with this person. Pray you give me an opportunity to share with this. Pray you give me an opportunity to share the gospel. And sometimes what I fear that we, what we mean when we're praying for opportunities is we're praying for a really nice environment. God, when I have this person's attention, when they're not distracted, when dogs are not barking and babies are not crying, and when I've earned the right to be heard, then I will share the gospel. Until then, God, I pray that you help me have those opportunities. Or I need to take God's role and create those opportunities, right? And I'm trying to build relationships and build rapport and get to a place where I can comfortably share the gospel with somebody and that I've earned the right to be heard and all that kind of stuff. And no. You know, most of the people that I see coming to Christ, they, they're doing it when there's lots of distractions around. There's lots of craziness all around. I've never been in the perfect situation where there was calm and there was quiet and it was just perfect set up just to share the gospel. It's always required a bit of boldness from God, from the Holy Spirit, to open my, my mouth for Jesus. This is an invitation to some of you to really just repent, just turn, stop asking for opportunities and start asking for boldness. Because what, look at these disciples. How big is God in their, in their view? God is sovereign. He's in control. He's the creator of everything. And guess what? You didn't get to choose when you were born. You didn't get to choose how tall you're going to be. You didn't get to choose whether or not you would have bangs or not, or long hair or not, or gray hair or dark hair. You did not get to choose all of those things. And you're going to choose whether or not the person God has put in front of you gets to hear the word of God or not? Could it be that the very people that you need to pray for boldness to share God's word with is not someone that God's going to send you to, but it's the very people that God has already put in front of you? 
the very people that God is already putting in front of you. And what you don't need is you don't need the perfect environment to share with them. You need boldness to see if there's any spiritual openness, to see if there's any possibility that you can lovingly share the gospel with them. You need boldness. At this point, I'd like to invite uh, a response. And some of you have been looking at this uh, picture of these friends and their relationship with God, that they see God as Father in complete control, God the Son as, you know, Jesus, our Savior and our leader, and God the Holy Spirit who helps us and empowers us in ministry. And you might be thinking, man, my relationship with God does not look like that. My picture of God is very two-dimensional, very flat. I'm not walking with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How do you get into that relationship? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you how. <laughs> so think of this. We're talking about the Trinity, okay? The, the Trinity is just a description of what we see unfolding in Scripture in that as God uh, begins to work in history to save people from sin, we see what unfolds in, from the mystery of God is that God is one, but God is three persons. As God comes down into human history in the man Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, when he talks to God the Father, he says, Father. He says, you. Jesus doesn't pray to me. He prays to you, Father. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he doesn't talk about my spirit. He talks about him, the Holy Spirit. That God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, yet one God. And that God is forever, from eternity past, been in a perfect relationship with himself. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfect joy, perfect fellowship, perfect friendship from eternity past to eternity future. And what God, this perfectly relational God, does is he breaks into human history in the person of Jesus. And Jesus shows what it looks like to walk in a relationship with God. Jesus, when he starts his ministry, is baptized. God the Father speaks his love over Jesus. God the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus and pushes Jesus out into temptation. And Jesus is empowered throughout his whole earthly ministry by the Holy Spirit. Look at the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is continually empowered by the Holy Spirit. So he's walking in the Holy Spirit and he's walking in obedience to God the Father. It says that Jesus, he does everything the Father tells him to do. He speaks every word the Father gives him. He is focused on fulfilling the will of the Father. So Jesus shows the perfect example of what it looks like to walk in a relationship with God under God the Father, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus doesn't just give you an example. He gives you his life. And what happens is Jesus, walking in a perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit, stops and he does something. He looks at you and he looks at you and he takes your place 
and he puts you in his place. He takes your place and he puts you in his place. That's what the death of Jesus is all about. People call this the great exchange, that Jesus, perfectly walking in relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, Jesus took on himself the exchange so that he gets the death, you get the life. He gets alienation from God, you get reconciliation with God. You, he gets abandonment from his father as he prays, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? As he dies on the cross, he gets abandonment, you get adoption. Jesus' father becomes your father. Jesus gives up his spirit to death. Father, into your hands, receive my spirit. You receive the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry as you follow Jesus. He gets the condemnation, you get the salvation. He gets the death, you get the life. That's why we love Jesus so much. That's why we love Jesus. And what this means is that if you turn to Jesus, if Jesus is your leader and your savior, if you turn from your self-leadership and your self-salvation projects to Jesus as your leader and your savior, that he, Jesus takes your place, pays for it on his death on the cross, conquers it, is raised again, and you get to walk out this relationship that Jesus started and has gifted to you. And now God, you're adopted. God is your father. God, the Holy Spirit, is empowering you to do ministry. And now Jesus is ahead of you, who is for you, and he is your leader and your savior. And you begin to walk in that relationship. What is stopping you from turning to Jesus today as your savior and your leader? If you have any interest in this at all, that is evidence that God, the Holy Spirit, is already working and drawing you. For some of you, you need to turn from trying to do this thing yourself and simply ask for boldness to speak the word. Ask for boldness to share with the very people that God has put in front of you. And one just helpful tip in thinking through this is we determine what's important by the questions we ask. That's why interrogation can be so intimidating or powerful. Is what you ask, the questions you ask, determine what's important. If you ask someone about the weather or about this or that, you're talking about what's important. If you ask someone, do you feel like you're near or far from God? You establish that for you, a relationship with God is important. If you ask the question, I'm sorry, I pray for you regularly, but I don't know how to pray for you. I'm sorry for never asking, but do you mind if I ask, how, how can I pray for you? Do you have any spiritual beliefs? This is what Jesus did in my life. Do you have a story like that? Ask questions. Look for spiritual openness. And pray for boldness 
to share the word. There's going to be opportunities to come in front of people probably this afternoon to buddy up with others, to trust God to do only what he can do. You can trust that God will stretch out his hands and confirm and use his word. Are you going to pray for boldness? Let's go ahead and pray together and uh, we're going to invite God uh, to direct our next step. So Father in heaven, we pray, God, I ask, God, what is it that you are calling me to do? What is the thing? What is the one move that you are calling me to trust you in? Father, I ask, God, that you would show me and show us what it is you want me to do. Father, for some of us who think or feel I don't know if I know God like these friends knew God. God, I pray that today would be a day that they would truly cross the line of faith. That they would accept that Jesus took their place and that as a simple gift of God, that they get to take Jesus' place and position. They can be adopted into your family. They can know you as Father. They can know the power of the Holy Spirit working in them, transforming them from the inside out as they follow Jesus as Savior and leader. God, I pray. Bring people to trust in you, to decide to follow Jesus. Father, I pray for many of us Give your servants boldness. Help us trust you as you stretch out your hand to show up to confirm the truthfulness of your word. Give us boldness to simply ask a question or to bring up our relationship with Jesus to the very people that, God, that you put in front of us. God, I repent of trying to control or manipulate my environment, looking for that perfect gospel-sharing opportunity. I repent of my lack of faith in trusting you, that you are sovereign and you are in control. And that the greatest need that I have is boldness to share your word. God, I pray for those who will be going out, perhaps this afternoon, to share the gospel. Give them boldness to share and help us to trust in you because we look forward to you showing up, God, and you doing what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to close with a
an ending story. So you remember that government official who interrogated me, uh, said, are you a missionary? Are you trying to convert people? I didn't know what to say. The Holy Spirit really just gave me boldness in the moment to tell him the truth. And this is what I said. I said, you know, I've read books about the colonists and people from England who came as missionaries. They were trying to change people's culture and change people's religion and introduce, you know, uh, colonize them. Uh, If that's what you're talking about, that's not who I am. But I am a follower of Jesus. And uh, I was in a very, very dark, uh, difficult time in life. And God uh, saved me. He changed me. And I found a relationship with God through following Jesus. And now I talk to God, and he listens to me, and he answers my prayer, and he's powerful, and he is good. And so I am a follower of Jesus. Is that okay? Can I be a follower of Jesus? And the guy's like, yeah. And I said, but what I said is true, that I really do have a relationship with God. And God is big, and he's powerful, and he cares about you. Do you have any, any way that I can pray and ask God to help you? Do you have any needs in your life? And this government official said, yeah, my son has been very sick. And I said, can I, can I pray to God in the name of Jesus for your son? He's like, yeah. So I just pray right there with this government official who's trying to interrogate me. I'm praying, and I'm praying the gospel. I'm praying the gospel, and I'm praying for his son, and I'm praying for God's mercy and God's grace. And then we end the prayer, and he smiles with a tear in his eye, and he walks away, and I never see him again. And I stay in that country for another couple years, never had any problems. Guys, God is big. He's in control, and he is giving you an amazing message. This is my prayer for you. Seek boldness. God will show up. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.